Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast with Mike Lewis and Doug Battle. How are you doing today, Doug? Mike, I am doing all right. I <laughs> had some health issues uh, this last week, so it's good to be back. It's good to to be feeling well. And uh, honestly, Mike, I'm a little concerned about my Georgia Bulldogs because the transfer portal has seemed to enable every good player for every good team to want to go to Alabama uh, and, and because they don't have enough talent already. There's rumors well, right now that well, Justin Ross from the, the future first-round receiver out of Clemson is considering Alabama. This is after one of Tennessee's best players and one of Ohio State's starters transferred to Alabama earlier this week. Well, back up just a second. I mean, when you're talking Georgia Georgia athletics, let's be more general, in the transfer, transfer portal, didn't your basketball team all decide to transfer out as well? Yes. Yeah, I think they have like nine transfers um, on that team. So they're transfer so, portal you in the worst way. And so the current state of the universe, I guess, in terms of NCAA, I'm not, maybe you know the specifics of the rule, is that basically it's open season and uh, players are basically allowed one free transfer at this point? Right. That's, that is the case. Okay. You know, the college, college sports, college, college football, I think one of the healthiest sports out there, college basketball, I think is got some structural problems, some structural weaknesses. But this transfer portal stuff is, I mean, it, it, I, look to me. I feel like there's there's a wave coming, or this there's a wave that has arrived, and the name of that wave is something like athlete rights or athlete freedom, and now it, it's kind of open season. I, I think in terms of the transfers, and, and look, I want to stay there because I think there's a big. I think there's two things going on: the transfer portal, and then the name, image, and likeness. Mm-hmm. And I think. These two things are sort of unrelated, but they're going to come together in a big way. And so as a Georgia fan, you're not feeling great about the transfer portal uh, you know, part of this scenario? There, there's two sides to it because the, the rich are going to get richer. That's what I've taken away from this. And Georgia is a perennial uh, top. Georgia's well, pretty, Georgia's that's pretty what I'm rich. Saying. We're a perennial top, top yeah. five, top ten team. Uh, in, in the last five years or so. So it's looking like it'll stay that way. We already, I think there, there's a defensive back um, who was a Thorpe Award finalist last year from West Virginia. Georgia's got a need at defensive back. We hire West Virginia's secondary coach, and this player transfers over to Georgia for this next year and fills a huge need. So that's fantastic for Georgia. But just just looking at college football as a whole and also looking at the situation with the team, the hump that Georgia's always got to get over is Alabama. And they're the team that seems to be benefiting the most from every rule change, everything that happens in college football with the rich getting richer (laughs) because they're so rich. They're so rich. And so it's like, how do you close the gap with a team that's so much richer and they're getting so much richer and it, you know, them adding, Tennessee's best defensive player and a starting wide receiver from Ohio State, and then now rumors about Clemson's best player overall transferring into Alabama um, makes you start to think, okay, this is how it's going to be. Like other schools, players are going to go to West Virginia and to you know wherever, and once they've proven themselves, they can then they've earned their way. It's like going to junior college so that you can get into a better school. Um, they, they can earn their way into a school like Alabama. So what's that do for a team like Tennessee that's trying to rebuild right now? And they have one all SEC type player, and now he goes and plays for the team that beats them by forty points every year. Do you? I want people to note that, and this is purely as a sociological look at fandom we just heard a georgia fan feel bad for tennessee don't get me wrong i don't feel bad for tennessee i'm concerned about (laughs) parody in college football and i also know that georgia and tennessee i think georgia could easily be in tennessee's situation i think georgia's very fortunate to be in a run um where where we're competitive every year while these rules are coming out and while it looks like the rich are going to get richer but if this had happened 
you know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago or whatnot, it would have been Tennessee and Georgia would be in the same situation. So there's a little bit of empathy there. Well, can you imagine? I mean, I would guess, you know, but people, you know, teams, fans know where their team is slotted, right? Um, you know, people know who the royalty is in any given conference and who the who the sort of the paid opponents are, right? My, in, right. The, in the Big Ten, Ohio State is royalty. Yeah. And the fighting Illini are essentially opponents, right? We're, we're, we're the Washington generals. <laughs> and, and so all of this feels, uh, look, uh, exactly. It, it was a couple of weeks ago, I think about a month ago, maybe we talked about competitive balance. And th- this does, you know, shine the light on the total lack of mechanisms for maintaining mm-hmm. competitive balance in college football. Yeah. Um, now, let me read you a quote. Very Georgia-themed day um, from former coach Mark Richt, mm-hmm. um, and this is like I said. I think I think transfer portal and and uh, transfer rules and NIL will quickly become interrelated. <clears throat> Mark Rick described the monumental shift. When I was playing college football, my priorities were girls, football, and theirs, and then school. Rick said, "Now it's going to be money, girls." football school. <laughs> now, I, I think he's on to something. You know, maybe it's going to be money football because those two things are going to be completely yeah. interrelated, yeah. right? If I can keep moving and making more money and find a better a better personal branding situation, right? I, I think you're going to do it. Uh, girls are always going to be relevant. And, you know, how distant is school going to be at this point? Um, but I, you know, I think Rick's quote is dead on with the transfer portal being wide open because it, it, it feels like free agency without any of the rules associated with it, right? You can go, you're almost waiting for them to say, well, what if Alabama needs a quarterback because the guy gets injured in the fourth game? Should they be able to just go out <laughs> transfer, and pull, uh, yeah. transfer someone in on a week the sec- know, the second within str- a week? Yeah. The quarterback from the other team just just goes to the locker room and switches jerseys and transfers schools during halftime, goes to play for Alabama. Um, <laughs> no, but you're talking about Illinois got me thinking. Imagine if Illinois uncovers this diamond in the rough prospect at quarterback, this future number one overall pick who was a three-star in high school and Illinois lands him and develops very rapidly and, and becomes the kind of unanimous the Trevor Lawrence of his class, if you will. Is that kid going to play for three years at Illinois? Um, or is he going to play for one year and then see where there's an opening, whether it's Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, um, Oklahoma, any of these perennial college football playoff contenders where he can play yeah. with better receivers, behind a better line, get more TV exposure. And so... From a player's perspective, like there's two perspectives here. From a player's perspective, and, and you're talking about player rights or whatnot, I guess we don't have a term for that yet, but this could be a very good thing for players, a very good thing for players looking to create the best opportunities for themselves, for their families, for their careers. Um, but for teams, and, and more specifically for fans, we talk about hope and we talk about parity. And if you're a team like Illinois, I think – the hope is to get a player like that. But now it's like, even if you do, you're still going to have to rebuild the next year. Well, I, I guess we could even add something to that. This idea of players having the freedom to go. Right. So the, the, the wealth, the opportunities come from the sport. Mm-hmm. So the, the health of the sport is important. That means that yeah. the fighting Illini need to be, have a shot to being competitive. Uh, but you know, they, as you were sort of going through the winners and the losers of this, I, I think there's another group of players that are potentially losers, right? What about the kids that committed to the school and stayed at the school? And you know, in a way, they can be recruited over now, yep. both by incoming freshmen and by you know a fourth year player at the University of Tennessee or Ohio State. Oh, absolutely. So. Zero, it's a zero sum game, and yeah, a lot of losers. I mean, some some winners, a lot of losers. Yeah, and I know Alabama is notorious for over signing in their signing classes. So there's there's a cap on how many players you can sign. 
They signed several players more than that. Um, and then magically some players for former classes who haven't panned out as they were expected to tend to transfer out or quit the team or whatnot. So that the numbers kind of even out. Um, now it's going to be even more of that with adding in transfers. And I think my concern is that uh, college football already feels like a, probably like an eight team league as far as there's eight teams that are really in contention for a championship from year to year. It more or less, um, now it's it's like any NFL, and we saw the NFL draft like what the the first round there were six Alabama players and okay and okay let me so ask it's you like a does every NFL prospect does any player that establishes himself after year one or year two of being an NFL prospect go ahead and transfer to Alabama and then the next tier of players transfers to Clemson Ohio State or whatnot and, and what what is Alabama ranked in the preseason poll for next year do you know. Uh, probably one or two. <laughs> probably one or two. Yeah. Okay, and they lost, and they lost six first round talent. Yeah, yeah. Okay, college football. You may have, you may have a little bit of a problem. Yeah. Right now, that being said, I don't see any economic evidence that they have a problem. Um, I think you're right that you're going to see. Frankly, I'm kind of surprised that we haven't seen more of it. And mm-hmm. I mean, the, the concentration of, uh. The, the way the, the college football playoff positions have been concentrated in terms of there's the Alabama position, there's the Ohio State position, there's the Clemson position, and then there's like this wild card thing that maybe Georgia, Notre Dame, or Oklahoma gets. Right, right. Uh, I, I have not looked at the numbers. I would not, and it'd be hard to actually discern this, but I wouldn't be surprised if there has actually been a pretty dramatic drop-off in recruiting after you get beyond let's say that second group right where there's it's almost like playoff eligible where (laughs) georgia lsu florida state right florida that yeah 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 i don't know i just i think the one thing that's kept some level of parity is like yes alabama and ohio state and even i mean georgia to be frank have largely out recruited the schools that are out of playoff contention in your words, but there's still those players, you know, some of those five-star players don't pan out for Georgia and Alabama. And some of those two, three-star players do pan out for North Carolina and Tennessee and West Virginia. Okay. And so that's the one thing where it's like, well, those guys, they, they do end up having some NFL talent, some like equivalent to five-star players that pan out that, that didn't get their shot at an Alabama but what happens when those guys transfer into Alabama, transfer into Georgia, transfer into Ohio State or Clemson? It's the way it's going to go, right? And, yeah. You know, so so two things, and I'll get to the more serious matter second. But the first thing is, I got to tell you, Doug, as an Illini guy, I tend to feel a rush of excitement <laughs> when we get someone that is leaving a premier program. Luke Ford. And, and well, Luke Ford, yeah. but. All these guys, right? Oh, you know, oh, there, there's a former four-star offensive tackle at USC that ends <laughs> up at Illinois. Yeah, and it, it is that hope springs eternal of this guy clearly didn't make it at that program and was kind of pushed out. But as a fan, you can't help but look at that and go, "This is our highest offensive line rated recruit in seven years, <laughs> yeah, or, or something along those lines." Um, yeah, I, I think you're dead on. Now, the, the second thing, and it's a little more kind of relevant to all this is this issue of NIL a name image mm. and likeness yep. this thing that's been hanging over college sports for for the last couple of years really it's been on its way since the Ed O'Bannon lawsuit uh, you know the, the hope was that it was going to be <clears throat> the hope was that it was going to be resolved last January mm-hmm. uh, the NCAA punted on this moved it back hoping for some sort of legislative solution that solution has not arrived um, there is now states are passing more laws. Schools are starting to move into this. It is coming rapidly. Some of the state laws are going to go into force this upcoming season. So this stuff is going to get done. Mm-hmm. I've got a an announcement from uh, well, an announcement from Alabama, uh, and I think this is about a week or two ago. Yeah, uh, 
Alabama announced that it has created a program called The Advantage, which will assist and educate Crimson Tide student-athletes with the tools necessary to build and elevate their personal brands. Mm -hmm. We're going to hear the word personal brands endlessly for the next couple of years. The program, which will combine on-campus resources with external organizations, will focus on the management of each individual brand, maximizing personal social media platforms and education or on and education on financial literacy. So the rich get rich, the rich get richer and the rich are investing in a mm. I guess you're going to have essentially brand managers to help Crimson Tide athletes develop their own personal standing. Maybe they'll be uh, you know 10 of these folks assigned to the football program and two that will serve the lacrosse team and softball team, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, first off, like what a great thing for these athletes and, and for these players. And I think uh, to an extent it's long overdue for players to be able to benefit from their own name, image and likeness. That's always seemed um, like an obvious one to a lot of people. And, and so again, player perspective, this is a great thing. Looking at the parity of the league, you know, what, what's going to be better for that, three-star turned five-star that goes to North Carolina? Is it going to be to play the noon games against Boston College every, you know, every year and not be on TV? Or is it going to be to play Saturday night, primetime ESPN for Ohio State or Alabama or Notre Dame? Of course, they don't play on ESPN. but And so, you know, it becomes a parity issue again with the with the rich getting richer. and um, but But again, the players also getting richer which I think is a good thing. So, so there, you know, there's two sides to it. Well, but the other part of this, right, is that so every school is now going to have to have branding consultants. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like a it's whole new industry now. It, it, it will. Yeah. It, it's, it's actually something we should go into, you know, and we should start developing a business plan for that on the side. Yeah. That they're going to, you know, this is because this is going to be part of the recruiting pitch now, right? Yeah. So they're going to go into high school students' homes, and they're going to talk about how they're going to help you get to. They're going to help you get your degree. They're going to help you get to the league, and they're going to help you grow your social media platform and your brand over the next, you know, three or four, three or four years. Right. And the slickness of these campaigns are going to. They're going to matter, right? So the kid's going to look at the 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 student athlete is going to look at the the totality of it, the facilities the you know the, the the fan base but also what they're going to be able to do from them from a marketing perspective and i i think this is kind of key because i don't i don't think there's anything out there right now that's going to legislate or constrain what different schools can invest in it if you are a monster program in alabama a texas a georgia then you can pour mm -hmm infinite resource comparatively infinite resources into these marketing efforts to help these players it's like there's an open loophole right now yeah versus the kid going out to you know play football at indiana state so going back to your point this kid that's playing football basketball at indiana state right happened that suddenly is a dominant athlete not only did they get the big stage at alabama or kentucky if it's on the basketball side but now they've got marketing consultants that are going to work for them, right? Yeah, they've got they've got their own agency in a sense, and you know the issue with resources and a huge disparity in resources between teams is is clearly already prevalent in college football. If you look at facilities, if you look at college football, if you look at the budget for recruiting, and then you look at the rankings mm -hmm. for recruiting and, and how teams perform. Uh, there, there's clearly a, a extremely direct correlation where essentially there's a little bit of pay, or I say a little bit, it's a huge factor. It's uh, you can pay to win in college football. Uh, you up your oh. recruiting budget, you all of a sudden have better players oh. and players win games and, you know, it makes you a better program to attract more good players. And so that, I mean, that's, that's been the formula for Georgia. That's, that's what happened when Georgia brought in Kirby smart and, 
they invested a lot more in recruiting and in facilities and all these things. And all of a sudden, instead of being like a 10 to 15 to 20 team every year, they're a two to five to 10, somewhere in that range every year. Yeah, it's, and you're dead on. And it, it's, I've, I've actually looked at those numbers, mm-hmm. um, especially when I was pulling information and doing these college fan base rankings. That if you look at expenditure, the correlation between expenditures on a program and revenues produced in a program and winning in that program, mm-hmm. there are, it's like Major League Baseball. There are no <laughs> mysteries yeah, yeah. in terms of what's happening. You can go out, you can go out and buy relative success. Now, what you can't buy is magic, right? Mm-hmm. And so you, you can't buy Nick, only one person gets to buy Nick Saban. Right. Right, but you can buy your way into being a a ten win team if you've got that level of investment. Yeah. Now, I, I suppose you could argue that you've got to have a sufficient fan base that's going to. And, and look, this is one of the hit. This is one of the things that no one talks about in college sports. There's got to be that potential that you can turn that investment into enough revenue to make the situation sustainable. Yeah, I think, right, I, and, and and that might be a problem with you know let's say the Vanderbilts or the mm-hmm. Illinois or the Purdue's, mm-hmm. the Mississippi States, right? The, you could you could invest all that money, you could win those games, but the financial return is just going to be different than it is for a Georgia or an Alabama because of location or tradition. Yeah. You talk about how there's, there's really no surprises. I think the only surprises in college football are the teams that do all those things, that do invest like that and do have the established fan base and do buy out the the great coach um, who's had a lot of success at another program and do put a ton of money into facilities and recruiting and yet are still unable to get over the hump. We've seen that in recent years with Texas, really both in basketball and in football. Um, we'll start with basketball, hiring Shaka Smart, a guy who took a team like VCU to the Final Four um, and, and competed regularly in, in at a high level in the NCAA tournament. And then a program that had players like Kevin Durant and LaMarcus Aldridge and a number of NBA all-stars, obviously a great fan base, obviously a ton of resources, and yet have still yet to win a tournament game. And Shaka Smart actually left after the season, but never won a tournament game in his tenure, I believe. Now you look at football, a team that fired Mac Brown to bring in, I believe it was Charlie Strong at the time, who had had a lot of success at Louisville. That didn't work. So they bring in Tom Herman, who, at, believe it or not, at the time, I wanted Georgia to hire Tom Herman when Georgia had a vacancy. And uh, Tom Herman had done phenomenally well at um, at Houston and had been OC of one of the best Ohio State teams I've ever seen. He was the hot name at coach. They invested so much in their facilities, their locker rooms. I don't remember the cost, but each player's locker is like several thousand dollars. They're so pimped out and um, just over the top. They put a ton into recruiting. They put a ton into their coaching staff. They've had some success, but like they haven't made the college football playoff. They're a sleeping giant as far as they've got this fan base. They've got, you know, they're in a perfect position as far as recruiting. They, they bring in this coach that's you know supposed to be the next great thing and yet they still have still have yet to have the level of success that they've invested for um, those are the real surprises in college football to me Alabama winning games uh, Ohio State winning games Georgia winning games the, I mean none of that is is a surprise it'd be a surprise if they didn't no you're you're, you're right of course right it's that there's a lot of I mean when, you know and it, look this is a good point and sort of it's a it's a good statistical point yeah um, if we want to take the if we want to take the show to a boring place for a second, right? That correlation is you know correlation sort of about generalities, right? So if you look at the correlation between spending and winning, you know maybe you get a number like point eight, right? That says they move together, but not always, right? And, yeah. and so it's what's what's this extra part that determines it, right? Nick Saban seems to be. Like I suspect, if you look at the spending at Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Notre Dame, probably not that different. Texas might spend more, right? That there's a uh, you know, the, but there there there's this stuff that it's almost, it's almost like the human component or the organizational mm-hmm. component that uh, you know, like that that actually leads to success, right? I mean, in look, we could see this in places like the NFL, right, where there's certain programs, Pittsburgh, Green Bay, New, uh, New England for the last couple of decades, 
that somehow always seem to do better than some other programs, the New York Jets, the, the, the Cleveland Browns. Um, I, look, I, I agree with you. Texas has always been kind of a great mystery to me. I remember back in the day, it's like Texas used to have their, you know, Texas football was known as the best bet of talent in the mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. And Texas seemed to get their, one of the other things Texas has going for it is they are the dominant program historically the dominant program, sorry, A&M, in that state. Mm-hmm. And so were they getting to pick first of all the Texas talent while in the state of Florida, Florida, Florida State, Miami, Miami are, mm-hmm. are battling for the for this stuff. So hey, don't, don't forget a, national champion UCF. <laughs> can't forget them. And already a major player in NI, and NIL with their yes. uh, Instagram jerseys. Uh, <laughs> Texas has always, you know, I almost get the sense that Texas, there must be some sort of organizational problem in that athletic department. But, you know, one of those mysteries that we'll, we'll probably never know until someone writes a book. Yeah, and speaking of organizational problems uh, within an athletic department, Tennessee, another sleeping giant. I'm looking at 2020. The number one recruiting class and the team that spent the most on recruiting was Georgia. Team that spent the second mm-hmm. most and also the number two recruiting class was Alabama. And number three, you have uh, Tennessee. They spent $2 million, um, you know, in their budget for recruiting and hired a, a staff full of veteran guys who'd had success elsewhere and had very little success and ha- have had very little success um, under Jeremy Pruitt, uh, I guess, while, he's, while he was at Tennessee. So another one, like they're spending the money. They've had coach after coach, you know, young up-and-comers. Pruitt's a guy that was under Saban for the longest time, and a lot of people thought he could be the next Saban. And, and yet, there is that human element that's keeping them because they're, you know, they're spending way more than teams like Oklahoma, teams like Clemson, and yet being outperformed dramatically. And, and look, two quick comments, right? Probably obvious comments. Tennessee does not have the natural recruiting base of a, like, Georgia. like you could argue yeah. that, that of a Georgia or a Florida, you could argue that Alabama is a relatively talent rich, but a relatively small, mm-hmm. small state. Uh, in the case of Tennessee, again, you know, all we can do is speculate from the outside, right? But I mean, like this, the, in, a, in a way, this is kind of sports radio, right? So amazing. How, how would a sports radio caller do this? Problem with Tennessee is they've got no loyalty to their people. They fired Phil Fulmer where they should have kept him, and now they don't give anyone a chance. They run him out out of there every two, three years, and so they don't give anyone a chance to build, and it's destroyed the culture. No one wants to go there. No one wants to coach there. Yeah. Right. No one wants to coach there. They don't support the folks. The athletic department is too quick to pull the trigger. You know, you got me, sort of these these mysterious hidden factors. Okay, so... The other one, so in addition to Alabama moving to, we can only assume, build a truly world-class personal marketing brand management support system, the state of Georgia also weighed in. And as the state of Georgia does these days, kind of created some problems. (laughs) So the, let's see. So here's the quote. And I think this is from, I think this is from Brian Kemp, who is, you got to wonder if he, is glad that he ran for governor. It, it, it seems like it's been an ugly couple of years. Yeah. Thanks to the bill, thanks to the bill, student athletes from across the country will have Georgia on their mind when they're looking for a campus and a university that can give them a world-class education, but also the chance to compete at the high, highest levels of college athletics. Okay, so again, everyone is positioning for what, for what this new world's going to be. Mm-hmm. Everyone is positioning that you know, come to our state, come to our school. We will help you. We will help you make money. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the gold rush is here. Come join us. We can't pay okay, you, but, but we can we can invest <laughs> in a program that helps you make money. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if we can get other people to pay you. Yeah. You make us money. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but the, the article went on. However, the new legislation contains a twist. Schools can require athletes to pool up to 74.99% of money earned in an escrow account that would then be shared with other athletes. However, it would not be able to be withdrawn until a year after they graduate leave school. 
So I, I, I get it, right? That in some ways the money athletes are going to make from name, image, and likeness is a function of the jersey they get to wear. But this does not seem in the spirit of this move towards athletes' freedom to go out no. and get what they what they deserve. <laughs> um, so, do you know anything about what they what they mean by that? I mean, so if it's if if a <coughs> if a big chunk of this is going to go into a pool, yeah, and maybe this is unspecified at this point. Is this so the backup safety also gets a piece of the NIL? I'm money, thinking, or is this so that we're also going to, you know, give a stipend, you know, give some cash to someone on the bowling team? That's what I was going to say. I think this is this is more about the the women's tennis team than the backup safety. Um, which uh, Doug, can I point something out to you? Yeah, I've become very woke in 2021. Yes, and I never mentioned the I never put a, a name on any of the teams. I just say equestrian or bowling. Bowling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I guess. I have some catching up to do <laughs> as far as that goes. But, yeah, I mean, I, that's what I think it's about. It's an interesting strategy because my understanding is this is a statewide policy, right? This is not – this will not be applied to Alabama or Florida or Texas. Is that correct? It sounds like it's optional. Like the schools – like Georgia Tech could do something. Georgia could do something else. Yeah, because um, from like a competitive standpoint, it seems like you could – draw in you could have better tennis teams and better volleyball teams because yeah. because if you're offering those players more than they can get elsewhere all the best ones are going to want to go there but also it seems like if you enact that a team like alabama um, that's going all in on football and basketball is going to outperform you in those sports which is really all that matters to a team like the university of georgia or even georgia tech doesn't it also seem that the University of Alabama is now going to include language from Georgia State legislation when recruiting high school athletes? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is this is the new I mean, this is going to be the selling point in recruiting now. It's it's going to be less about championships and more about personal brand, more about dollar bills. What can we do for you? Yeah, what yeah. can we do for you? Um I, another interesting aspect of this is like I'm really curious to see how the NCAA is is so strict on teams paying players. It seems like there could be a lot of avenues for teams to indirectly pay players through this to set up systems where they can guarantee payment to players in the name of it being you know as an influencer or name, image, and likeness, indirectly funneling money different ways where it ends up in the player's pocket. And that's been such an issue over the years, but this just opens and this provides so much more opportunity for teams to do that. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if the NCAA is really a stickler and if there's any major college football scandals, um, cheating scandals in, in that way. I, I don't I don't see I don't see anyone I, I've not seen any NIL articles. I don't see anyone yeah. talking about and I'm getting back exactly to what you're talking about, about the role of Nike, Adidas, <laughs> yeah. Under Armour. Etc. In this new world, yeah, and I would think they are going to be the major players in any of this. That yeah. a kid like Zion a couple of years ago mm -hmm. is a Nike target from the from the time when he's in eighth grade, yeah, and they want to manage that that career. Look, I mean, in, in some ways, when we talk about all this NIL stuff, it sounds like people are overly optimistic that there's going to be this gold rush that all of these kids with 20,000 IG followers are going to start making decent amounts of money. I, I think in this world mm -hmm. of influencer marketing, influencers make mar money because they can push a product. I don't know what, since UCF entered this fray, I don't know how much product or what product categories a outside linebacker at University of Central Florida I don't know what the economic value of that of that person is mm -hmm. uh, to to marketing companies, but I would think a big chunk of whatever dollars are going to flow to this are going to be from the shoe companies, right? Mm -hmm. The athletic apparel marketers. So I and I don't see anyone talking about this stuff. Uh, is Georgia a Nike or an Adidas school? I think they're not a Nike, Nike school, right? Nike. Yeah. Do you know what Alabama is? Nike. Okay, and so then, because then we get into the weirdness, right, of 
where, where does Nike think the kids should go to school? Yeah. And, and that raises a great point too, because like a player can't become endorsed with Adidas and play for Alabama. Um, because you know, Alabama has got a contract where their players have to all wear Nike. And so I'm just curious, like, cause this is all so new. I mean, we're kind of in the wild west with name, image and likeness. Is there, you know, is there legislation figuring out those type of situations? And so will a player have to make his college decision, you know, contingent upon what company he's going to sign with, um, due to the partnerships that the school already has? Seems like they probably would. I, th- I think like the athletes are going to have to. Yeah. I, look, I, I don't I don't know what the rules are in terms of can Nike recruit high school athletes. Again, I don't know that anyone's talking about that. Are now in parallel to being recruited at a school, are the shoe companies also going to be doing some recruitment? Now, obviously they all have relationships with the the universities. So now you're gonna see partnerships. But again, Nike is not Illinois is a Nike school, yeah. a Nike school as well. So, you know, you, you speculate this idea of the, this, this kid comes out of Pekin, Illinois, right? This, he, he's only six foot tall and maybe he's a little slow, but he has a growth spurt freshman year and he gets up at six foot six, right? And, yeah. and some arm strength comes along with that. And he's throwing the ball. What was that? Uncle Rico could throw the, in Napoleon, <laughs> Over quarter the mile. Yeah, yeah. He's throwing the ball. He's the next coming of Jeff George. Now, does Nike want this kid to stay at Illinois, or do they want him to say, "Hey, you know what? Go win a couple national championships with Coach Saban." Yeah, yeah. Um, it's <laughs> it's interesting to think about. It's interesting to think. Um, also, here's another side of this, another angle. Like you see me right here. I'm wearing a Nike hat right now. Like I am a. We talk about fandom for brands and wearing the clothes to kind of can make you a fan or, or express fandom. I've always been a Nike guy, probably because my teams all wear Nike. Um, the well, teams let me, let me explain to people that, because I, I want to ask you a question about this hat. Yeah. I'm not, not I don't want to interrupt you. It seems totally nondescript. It's a black hat with a white or silver swoosh. I have mm-hmm. no idea if there's a team affiliation on that. Yeah, there's not. Um, but what okay. I'm saying is like, I lean Nike. Like I wear Nike shoes. I like them. I prefer them. I like their logo better. I don't like Under Armour. Um, I don't like Adidas really. And so if I'm an athlete, I'm more likely to sign with a Nike school just from that. And so my, my question is like, or I guess it's not really a question for you. It's just kind of a rhetorical is like, how, how will the team's affiliations with these brands affect recruiting and that like are there more you know demographically are there more 17 year old football players that are nike guys that like wearing nike that like wearing the check on their hat or on their shirt or on their shoe than adidas and will nike schools tend to outperform adidas schools in football or or vice versa um depending on region and demographic or whatnot like I, i feel like even a team like like auburn signed with under armor i would imagine Auburn could be with any brand and that Under Armour probably was the best financial situation because they're trying to establish themselves in, you know, in football as, as one of the major brands. Does that hurt recruiting now for Auburn? Does that, does that affect which players they're able to get? And will that affect what, you know, is every team going to be a Nike team now? I think it's a great point. Yeah. And I think you're, you're, you're identifying what people are not, what people are not writing about and not talking about at this point, mm-hmm. that the world of sports is in some ways a platform. Like you could argue that the entire world of American sports is a platform to sell <laughs> Nike, Adidas, yeah. and Under Armour yeah. at this point, right? They're met, they, they sponsor everything. They put their, they, they put their logos on every jer- on every Jersey out there. Everything they do is to attract that next generation of fans right this is why they're so interested in signing you know the next lebron well the signing michael jordan and then lebron and then you know the next lebron i don't know that it's going to be zion because this is what look i mean what do we do here we talk about fandom which means we're really talking about culture this stuff 
This this is the culture. When you wear that that Nike hat, Doug, I don't know necessarily go to oh this is a sports thing. This is just how Generation Z and look the millennials before mm-hmm. and to some extent Generation X. This is just how we we dress. This mm-hmm. is part of the this whole deal. And so as these brands, and look, you see this all the time now with, uh, look, sneaker culture is something, yeah. right? Yeah. Stock yeah. exchanges for buying shoes. Um, right. What, 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 and again, I'm going to be the, the ignorant 53-year-old here for a second. Some guy named Neezy, you know, Ye- with million-dollar shoes. What's it? <laughs> yeah, are you talking about Kanye? Well, I thought there was, is, I don't, you know, see, I don't even know. I don't even care, right? <laughs> but, but you guys are, are sort of marinated in, in, in this culture that is largely driven by these sports, clothing, athletic, Absolutely. you know, in, in kind of popular culture. Uh, Absolutely. So, so, so you're dead on that those companies are essentially cultural companies, and now they've got another lever, and it's incredibly naive to think that they're not going to that they're not going to push that lever as far as they can. Yeah. Hey, Mike, urgent interruption here. Okay. I'm getting breaking news mid-podcast that the Jacksonville Jaguars are planning to sign quarterback turned tight end Tim Tebow to a one-year deal. <laughs> Nothing official yet, but this is Ian Rappaport reporting. Uh, so, so we're looking at a potential of Trevor Lawrence throwing the football to Tim Tebow. In Jacksonville, the world gets better and better, doesn't it? <laughs> sorry, to, I don't know why. Sorry to completely Doug, Doug, change, but I'm like, this is this is urgent news. Why does that story make me so happy? But it's because it does. <laughs> crazy, crazy times. But yeah, I don't know this whole NIL thing. The one thing I know is that, like, if I'm interested in the business of sports or getting into the business of sports, I feel like the opportunity right now has got to be in name, image, and likeness, like some form of consulting or marketing um, for these players. There's going to be firms, and I think we've already seen some firms arise that, you know, are hoping to be hired by schools to to work, you know, on behalf of the school with their players um, and be the experts in this area. But it's just, it's a whole new opportunity in, in the industry of sports that has been untapped and i know there are people and i know we had vince thompson he kind of talked about it but i know there are people who have been kind of waiting to to establish themselves in this area because it's going to be a huge it's going to be a huge part of the sports industry and it's completely vacant uh for the time being or at least it was a few months ago absolutely and i mean the real questions about what it's going to look like yeah my my thought is look they're they're going to rapidly grow these staffs and look again. I have to, I don't know what the rules are. Maybe there's some rules that constrain this. You're going to rapidly grow staffs at places like Alabama and Notre Dame, uh, in ter- in terms of essentially brand managers for players. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also think that there's going to be opportunities for some, let's say, automated solutions. That so much of this, and the, and look, this makes sense the way sports and technology are going. So much of this action is going to be in social media spaces. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see platforms that are designed to facilitate brand building in those spaces come of age right you don't you don't need a full-time person uh helping an athlete become an influencer but there does need to be some some guidance you know when do they post what should they post about how often should they should they post mm-hmm. um so that, that that'll be sort of this low level infrastructure and then you will see this kind of this kind of these efforts to build athletes into look in some ways this may maybe all this goes back to Michael Jordan right because everything in sports marketing goes to mm-hmm. to Michael Jordan that you're going to see more and more efforts to build these brands from an increasingly early age and frankly I don't know you know there's a lot to play out and you'd say this is going to be a really interesting year to watch college sports it's going to be really interesting to see what everyone ends up doing how everyone moves into this space you know from ucf's effort for their spring game of putting the ig handles on the jersey to alabama building alabama advantage um we won't get to see a lot of it right but you got to think behind the scenes you're going to see very slick recruiting presentations Mm -hmm. oh yeah a whole new world um i suspect with a with 
as in most things marketing, a lot of wasted time. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are not going to make any money. Yeah. The, the equestrian athlete with 1,200 followers is not going to make any money. The next Alabama quarterback is going to get a decent paycheck. paycheck. I, I, I don't know. Let me, let me ask you this. Who is the brightest star? Trevor Lawrence has been the face of college football with uh, Justin Fields as his shadow for the last three, four years. Who is the face of college football right now? There's really not one. Um, there's a lot of opportunity. I was looking at a mock draft for next year earlier this week, and uh, Oklahoma's quarterback, Spencer Rattler, was projected number one. Uh, UNC's quarterback was was a top 10 prospect as well. Um, I think there's opportunity for someone else to break through. My personal prediction would be Bryce Young out of Alabama. Uh, the kid is special. He he played at Modern Day in California last year in limited time for Alabama. He looked like a better version of Tua. We know how Alabama has done with quarterbacks going from Jalen Hurts to Tua to more recently Mac Jones. I fully expect Bryce Young to be the face of college football as much as I hate to say it um, as someone whose team will likely have to get through him uh, to to accomplish their ultimate goal. Okay, I just looked it up. Spencer Rattler has 378,000 Instagram followers. Uh, yeah. He's projected number one in the draft. He's got can we agree at least that he's got a great, great name for a quarterback? Oh, yeah. Um, that he's probably the he's probably the the big winner going into going into this season. Uh, he's uh, we got this new designation of team, right? He's a college football playoff. He's on one of the el- eligible teams. Mm-hmm. Um, top of the draft, great name, already a good base a historically powerful program. He could be the test case to see what happens. If, you know, we should almost make a, make a bet that what kind of social media following does Spencer Rattler have at, on draft day? If he's got 378 right now, maybe a million. So mm-hmm. does that mean he's more than doubles the size of his brand? Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Mike, I have one question for you as the, the sports marketing professor here. We've talked about Nike and Adidas and Under Armour. Outside of those brands, I know that there's going to be these firms whose responsibilities are to connect players and teams with potential suitors, potential brands where there could be mutual benefit, where they could strike deals and and kind of serve as brokers. What other types of brands do you expect um, to be partnering with athletes like Spencer Rattler, athletes like Bryce Young, these young stars in college sports, you know, who benefits from being associated with them outside of the shoe companies? See, I think that's another really good, insightful question. And that's why mm-hmm. I think that there's, there's going to be some winners in this, but there's going to be also a lot of wasted effort. Mm-hmm. I mean, so mm-hmm. I, I think part of this is going to be the, the standard kind of stereotypical local stuff of here's an endorsement with the local Chevy dealer. No, that's not mm-hmm. what we're we're talking about here. I think when you're talking about social media influencers, you have to focus on cultural businesses, mm-hmm. right? So you think about where where influencers are successful. They're mm-hmm. successful in getting people to play video games. They're mm-hmm. successful in selling cosmetics. Mm-hmm. They're successful in terms of the fashion industry, mm-hmm. right? And so. You know, what makes for a good influencer versus a bad influencer, right? Some measure of credibility, right? The, it like, you know, like I think the beauty influencers, the lifestyle influencers, they've got to portray that they're successful with the cosmetics or they have a lifestyle that people want to emulate. So the mm-hmm. question becomes, what can the athletes provide in terms of that credibility and that link to a cultural industry? So, you know, offhand, I'm going to, sort of punt on your question, mm-hmm. but I think it's got to be things that are sort of adjacent to the Nike and the Adidas. The, you know, so maybe it's some of the fashion products that are more tied in with sports. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps it's other athletic companies, but I think it's all got to start from there and then sort of, you know, on the periphery of how is, how is culture touching these things? Mm-hmm. Okay, Doug, I, look, I, I think NIL from my perspective is the, uh, you know, like I've been harping on this for frankly years. It is one of my. It's like on my list of 
five topics that I can talk about just about any any week. I think the transfer rules being relaxed, NIL being relaxed, this is going to be fun to watch. Mm -hmm. It might be complete chaos. It might be really damaging to parts of the college football sector. There may be, you know, the, the God love them, the Illini, you know, some of those programs, bottom of the power five schools may really suffer. The rich may get richer, as you were saying. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the bottom half, the non-power five schools may become essentially farm clubs. We're going to get to the next generation of college sports. These factors are going to push us there. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It might also be a little depressing for some schools. <laughs> With that, we are we're getting to May, right? And so it is just about time to start getting serious about the NBA. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So what so what do you, you know, I I watched a little ESPN this morning and it's all about Seth Curry what is it? Seth Curry versus the Lakers potentially Steph in the Curry. play in game? Steph Curry. Uh, <laughs> although, technically, <laughs> Seth Curry could play the Lakers if his team loses a couple here, but most likely Steph Curry. <laughs> yeah, the, the play in tournament, honestly, I know is criticized by LeBron, uh, mostly because his team's going to be in it, most likely, but it's added a lot of excitement to the end of this NBA season because all of a sudden teams like the Lakers are trying to win their way out of, they're trying to win their way to being a higher seed in, in the playoffs so that they don't have to be in this play in tournament where they're essentially a game or two away from being eliminated before even getting to play in a seven game series. But yeah, it's, it's looking like as of now, the Lakers and warriors would play each other in a play in game. Um, the winner of that would play the winner. Oh, well the winner of that would get the seven seed. The loser would play the winner of the Grizzlies and the Spurs. Um, and then the winner of that would get the eight seed. The loser would be eliminated. So basically seeds seven, eight, nine, and ten, or the ranks seven, eight, nine, and ten are competing for the seventh and eighth seeds in both conferences. Obviously, the biggest storyline with, with Steph Curry having arguably the best season of his career, but on a team that is not of the caliber of teams that he's played on that have won championships. It feels as though the greatest accomplishment for, for that team could be eliminating the Lakers, uh, making the playoffs and giving themselves a shot. Uh, you know, the Lakers coming off NBA finals appearance with expectations of potentially winning another NBA finals to be eliminated uh, before, you know, just to lose two straight and be eliminated would be, Heartbreaking for Lakers fans, but a huge story in basketball. As as I would say, odds probably they probably have some of the top odds of winning the finals, even as a seven seed. So, as we've learned from the last couple minutes, number one, professors are notoriously bad at names, both of students <laughs> and the industries they cover. Um, but beyond that. It is the best time of year. I think we can agree this is the best time of year for maybe the second best time of the year, sort of the, the end of the season positioning for the playoffs, especially this year. Um, and we'll start to really dig into all things NBA next week. As always, thanks for listening and much, much more at fandomanalytics.com. Thank you. <laughs>